Good afternoon. This is Vintage Orange on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Ellen Bell. This is the show where we talk about Orange County's history, connecting the dots between the past and present day. And so what better thing to talk about this week in the opening week of Major League Baseball than the history of our home team, the Angels. And this week, uh, to help me talk about that story, is Rob Goldman, who is a has a really unique connection with the team, actually. He, his beginnings with the Angels happened way back on the first opening day when he attended the first game in 1961. And it continued through to the 70s when he was a bat boy with the team, got a chance to, to meet a lot of the players of the day, including Nolan Ryan. And later on, uh, Rob Golden decided to turn this experience with the team uh, into a couple of really excellent books. He wrote a history once they were angels, the history of the team, and then also did a biography uh, collaboration with Tim Salmon, and then most recently with Nolan Ryan, writing the definitive biography, Nolan Ryan, The Making of a Pitcher. So without further ado, we will talk about the beginnings of the angels. So, Rob, let's start out by talking about going back to the beginning with the Angels. How did the franchise come to be the Major League Angels? Well, Ellen, it started uh, prior to the 1960 when Gene Autry, uh, the the first owner, of course, he was the famous cowboy TV radio star, and but he was also a rabid baseball fan and he grew up uh, in the 30s and 40s and he was a he was a, a st louis cardinals fan and he loved baseball probably more than the entertainment business because you know he was a he was a shortstop um, you know when he was a growing up in in the and he just in the leagues around his town in oklahoma right and he had a passion for baseball and, and he never lost it and is he is he got bigger and bigger in the entertainment business he you know he'd, he'd hobnob with the, the st louis cardinals guys like dizzy dean and the gas house gang joe right. medwick and frank frisch and later stan musual and he just loved hanging around ball players and i think deep inside he thought he was one but anyway <laughs> uh let's step forward 19 uh it's 1960 uh gene autry he's probably done everything he can in the interda- entertainment business you know he wrote rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and he did right cowboy serials on tv but he was also an astute businessman and he uh he had the vision of radio and tv how it was going to get bigger so he bought up tv stations and radio stations all the way from you know san diego up to santa barbara san luis obispo so he kind of had a monopoly on that and in 1958 the dodgers came to town and they joined his flagship station kmpc and uh, he had the dodgers on the radio and he loved that yeah now 19, uh, 1960, Walter O'Malley, the owner of the Dodgers, he switched over to KFI. Oh, okay. So suddenly, Gene Autry is without baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, coincidentally, at this time, the major leagues voted to expand, first ever expansion, two teams in both leagues. One team was selected to come to L.A. So uh, Autry got right on that through his uh, Stan Spiro, his 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 general manager at KMPC said, "Why don't you go? Uh, why don't you go to the winter meetings in St. Louis and see if you can secure the, the the radio rights to the new team in L.A.?" He said, "Yeah, that's a good idea." So at the time, the front runner for the new L.A. team it wasn't the L.A. Angels yet was uh, a team of Hank Greenberg and the, the famous uh, Bill Veck, uh, the outlandish right. owner who was very creative and 
promotional things. He brought that midget in. And had, yeah, no, I know Bill Beck from Chicago White Sox days. Yeah, yeah. but he, before that, he was, <laughs> yeah. it was Browns, and he tried sure. all sorts of tricks. He'd been around a long time. And at the time, people don't understand how powerful Walter O'Malley was. He had you know, moved west, and he changed the whole focus of the game, and he was a very, very powerful owner, particularly in L.A. And he didn't want anything to do with the Angels coming in town. He wanted, you know, he had a monopoly with the Dodgers. He didn't want the Angels here. So he got wind that Bill Vec was coming, you know, maybe getting the owner. He nixed that. He got the other owners to say, no, we don't want Vec because he's going to compete with me. At this time, the president of the American League, as we know, Gene Aki was very wired into these ball players, was Joe Cronin. He was the AL president. And he mm-hmm. was pals with Gene Autry. So when he got wind that Autry was interested in radio rights and... Uh, uh, once Vec was mixed, he says, well, Gene, why don't you uh, just make a bid for the team? And I said, well, okay, well, that's a thought. So, make a long story short, Gene comes to St. Louis, uh, Louis for the winter meetings in 1960, December 1960. He ends up with the L.A. Angels franchise. <laughs> and and he, all he really wanted was a radio ride. Well, isn't it funny? You think you wonder if, if O'Malley had stayed with Gene Autry's radio station, if all of this would have even transpired. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> if you would have kept the Angels out, <laughs> if the competition wouldn't have been as strong. I'm sure there probably would have been a franchise here anyway. Yeah, but. it was coming, but it, yeah. wasn't, it wouldn't have been Autry. Right. It would have been somebody else. Exactly. And Charlie Finley was in the hunt. Some guys, you know, Dan Topping was in the hunt. There was mm-hmm. lots of, there was, it was very popular, uh, you know, it was a popular franchise. So anyway, he comes back in, the, in, the, in December of 1960. He's got the L.A. Uh, franchise. Now he's got three months to put a team together, get the equipment, get the bats, get the, uh, get a uh, minor league system together, get a spring training site. So he's got a lot of work to do, and uh, he, he was very astute. Uh, one of the key guys he brought with him to St. Louis was Fred Haney. He, Fred Haney was a former ball player uh, in the 30s and 20s. He played under Ty Cobb, and he uh, later became the manager of the, of the Hollywood Stars, the, the minor league team, one of the minor league teams in L.A. Mm-hmm. And he later managed the Milwaukee Braves in the 57, 58, and actually won the World Series. So he, he was uh, Autry's advisor from the get-go. And it just became natural to put Fred at the helm as general manager. And that was a brilliant move because Fred was wired in. He knew everybody, and everybody loved Fred. And he had the integrity. He had brains. He was the key guy to get. So Fred goes to work. You know, he hires Marvin Milks. They get Palm Springs as the training site because it's right, it's close to L.A. It's just a hop, skip, jumping away. And, sure. and Gene knows everybody down there. He's got hotels and houses. And uh, that's selected right off the bat. Then we got to, you know, you got to decide where to play. Like I said before, Walter O'Malley, he, he, he had L.A. locked up. And also he had territorial rights, meaning that if you're going to come in here to L.A., you're going to have to pay. Right. So, Aki paid two point five million for the Angel, uh, for the LA franchise, then he has to pay um, O'Malley fifty thousand more for territorial rights, meaning because he owns the ballparks, he owns the, the, the he owns the area. So, the, the choice of ballparks were were, were few. Uh, there was no Dodger Stadium yet. The uh, Dodgers were playing the Coliseum. And uh, there was no way the Angels were going to play at the Coliseum. They would never fill that place up. <laughs> so there was this little neighborhood field called Wrigley Field. It was on Avalon and 42nd uh, Place, or 42nd Street, right down the road from the Coliseum. Okay. When O'Malley came to L.A., he bought 
the Pacific Coast League Angels, which played at Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. He immediately sent the PCL Angels up to Spokane, and he had an empty ballpark, but he wanted to get rid of any competition. So the famous PCL Angels, LA Angels, were now the Spokane Indians. So the deal was, uh, you know, Gene had a deal with with O'Malley. He says, okay, you're coming to LA, well, you're going to play at my ballpark, and you're going to play at Wrigley Field for one year, and then you're going to come to my Dodger Stadium for the next four, because I'm building that out, in, 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 you know, where it is now. And all you could do was say yes, because he had nowhere else to go. So that's how they ended up in Wrigley Field. It was O'Malley's, on O'Malley's orders. Right. Uh, Wrigley Field is a very interesting place. Um, if you've ever seen pictures of it, it it's, it's a neighborhood ballpark uh, fashioned uh, roughly after Wrigley Field because it was built by William Wrigley, the Cubs, right, yeah. who originally had their minor league, the, the Angels were the minor league team for the, for the Cubs for years, since 1925. So it's smack down in the middle of the neighborhood. In fact, you hit a home run over left field, it would probably bounce in somebody's house, somebody's yard. <laughs> just like the real Wrigley Field in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly. It's just a smaller version. Uh-huh. And it's just a quaint, beautiful little ballpark. It had a, like an eight-foot story clock tower. It had these Mexican architecture with these stucco, you know, these, um, these, these tiled roofs. It was just a, a nice little park, neighborhood park, but it seated like 23,000. So... That's where the original Angels played, and uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, they're, they're, they needed a name, and Fred Haney said, well, why not the LA Angels, because it would carry on the tradition of the team that was already here. Mm-hmm. That's how the Angels were selected. And, and they it, were the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, they just took the PCL Angels right. name mm-hmm. and transferred to the Angels because it gave them an identity. Now it gets interesting. Now they've got to form a club. So how do they do that? It was the first ever expansion team. Uh, all major league teams were allowed to, I guess, you know, protect 40 players, and the rest were allowed to be chosen by these two expansion teams, one in Washington and one in L.A. Now, I told you Fred Haney was very, uh, very astute, and he was very wired in and very connected. At the time, the, the general manager of the Dodgers was Buzzy Bavese, who mm-hmm. was best friends with Fred Haney. And uh, at this time... Fred hired Bill Rigney as the manager. His original choice was Casey Stengel, who had just been let off goal by the Yankees, but Casey didn't want to do it. He hires Bill Rigney as manager, and together they start forming a team. Now, Buzzy Bavese, since he's friends with Fred, he slips Fred the scouting reports that he has from all the clubs. Because they were, they were really behind the gun on this. I mean, they were really at a disadvantage because they were supposed to just kind of pick up the scrubs, right? Yeah, but... And, but that's what's interesting. That's what happened to Washington. They didn't have the inside. Uh-huh. Buzzy Devesi gave Fred all the minor league uh, scouting reports, so he knew every prospect across the major leagues. And Bill Rigney, who just got let go by the Giants, Chubb Feeney, the general manager, slipped him the scouting reports. So they, they had all the top prospects that weren't protected. <laughs> this is how we ended up with Dean Chance, yeah. Jim Fergosi. Buck Rogers, Bo Belinsky, we had these names, and those were the, that was the nucleus of the next of the Angel Club. So that's where it pays off to be a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and it's interesting. Walter O'Malley, the owner, he hated the Angels. He didn't want anything to do with them. But Buzz Vase, the general manager, loved it. He said, yeah, it was going to be great fun. We'll have great competition. We'll have a, we'll have a rivalry. So yeah. 
you had the baseball end with with Bavese. He's, he's feeding the angels the, the scouting reports, and and meanwhile, you know, uh, O'Malley's making a life miserable. He's you know he's, he's you play in this ballpark, and once they got to Dodger Stadium, they had to pay for the toilet paper. They paid wow. for window cleaning on the ticket office, which didn't have windows. It's it's that kind of pettiness that O'Malley had towards Autry, and that's why he got out of there in 66 and came to Anaheim, because he just couldn't take that pressure anymore. Right. So how did they do that first year? I mean, I know that they, they had to put this team together in, what, like three months, three did months. you say? Three so months. they had to put a team together in three months, be ready to play opening day, and now fortunately they did have some players that they'd gotten lines on and gotten some inside information, but how did they do that first year? They did great. They were 70 and 91, which is the all-time record for an expansion team, simply because they had the inside skinny. In the meantime, mm-hmm. uh, Fred uh, knows, you know, he's picking up Albie Pearson. He wasn't in the, in the draft. You know, uh, he, he was picking up players. Uh, they picked up Leon Wagner from San Francisco, who was, he couldn't fit into the giant outfield with, you know, with, with Mays and Cepeda and Jimmy Hart at third. He just couldn't crack it, but he was a great ball player. He was probably the Angels' best ball player. Yeah. And they also picked up Lee Thomas who, from the Yankees, who couldn't crack it with the lineup with Maris and, you know, and Mantle and those guys. So they hustled, and they got a real team. And uh, it was so good, in fact, after the first year, when they moved to Dodger Stadium the next year, Shabazz Ravine, they called it, mm-hmm. in 1962... They ended up 12 games out of first place. On July 4th, they were in first place. Wow. And they were right in the running until August when a couple of relief pitchers got hurt. But that's how good the Angels were Yeah. those first two years. And then Fred got lazy. He started. Uh, he didn't take advantage of the, of the, the rich player pool in, in Southern California at the time. It was the greatest place for baseball players. Yes. They just didn't build on 62. And then we had famine for, you know, <laughs> 10 years, 12 yeah. years. But that's how the Angels got started. In those first two years, they're, they're really fascinating. And I try to write about that in my books. And and really, it, it, they were just full of characters and full of oddballs. And, and you know, they were supposed to be the, you know, the, 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 the cast out, the, 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 you know, the losers. But they, they, they came together and they were competitive. Yeah, and well, that's the thing about the Angels. I think as a franchise, they've always kind of had this little brother um, image to the you know right from day one they were the second team in town and you know not expected to do as well and they've always kind of had this chip on the shoulder like we can do it anyway kind of attitude and and I love in your your book once they were angels how you talk about some of those those specific personalities and um, especially from that first team I mean you had some real characters on that team and how they just kind of gelled they were almost a little bit more like something you'd see in a movie, you know, than you than your classic um, baseball story. Yeah, they were all basically a bunch of drunks, <laughs> womanizers who just which is more interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, it's funner to write about those guys than the modern guys today. It's just all you know, it's all who, yeah. who was your favorite? I mean, I not I guess favorite person, but just like the most interesting. If you I had guess, to pick one, you got to go with Bob Lynch. Yeah, I would. I, he would be mine for sure. Yeah, just outlandish pitcher who just you know. Well, tell me about Bobolinsky for people who don't know, aren't familiar with him. They, they picked him up late in the draft. I think they, got, they drafted him or they signed him. He was out of the Baltimore organization. He was a, a left-handed pitcher, and he was just a cocky young guy, very good-looking, and uh, had a great screwball and fastball. And he just came into spring training, and he just he set up a press conference 
by himself and he was wearing sunglasses and <laughs> drinking wine and uh, he was just like 22 years old and ho- the, the press loved him and uh, this outlandish character and uh, uh, in 1962 this is 1962 he pitches the first no hitter ever on the west coast and after that you know the, the press was huge uh, Walter Winchell, the famous gossip columnist for the, um, the New York Post, he gets hold of him. He starts setting him up with, with starlets like Mamie Van Doren and Margaret Ursula Andrus. And all of a sudden, the Angels are getting more press uh, than the Dodgers, Colfax right. and Maury Wills. Oh, he's Mr. Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, he, he's at the Peppermint Twist, he's at the Coconut Grove, and he's just, he's just bigger than the game. And people don't realize how what a splash he was in the front page. He was a gossip guy. Yeah. Fred Haney hated him. <laughs> Gene Autry, who had a, a, a eye for the marquee, loved him. Sure. You know, Fred wanted to get rid of him, but Gene said, no, this guy's putting seats in the house. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, that's so. that's amazing. No, he's definitely like your Rat Pack kind of guy, yeah. you know, definitely of the time. And I love all the pictures of him with the Hollywood starlets. And, um, you know, he's totally central casting made for... Yeah, for <laughs> hanging out with the mafia. I mean, it's just... Uh, it's Dean Martin, Henry yeah. Fonda. I mean, it's just... It was nuts. But, yeah. You know, he, he didn't take care of himself and he lasted only a few years and finally got... You know, he, he I think he won 13 games, but, you know, he's more remembered for those 13 games yeah. than a lot of people are for 300 games. I'll say, I'll <laughs> say. Now tell me about Dean Chance, too. He was on that team. Dean Chance was the most, was the more talented of the two, and Dean Chance, uh, Bo took, Bo and Dean knew each other from the Orioles organization, and uh, they, they hit it off, and Dean, you know, he was kind of, it was kind of like Butch and Sundance. And, yeah. You know, they just kind of hung out together. He, you know, uh, uh, Bo needed a running buddy. And um, fortunately for Dean, he didn't drink. So he could hang out and get all the goodies, but he would be able to get up the next day and pitch. Sure. Bo couldn't. So, you know, Dean, uh, like I said, he's a big six foot four right hander, and he could throw, and he had real legitimate talent. Yeah. And he was the first real pitcher to take off. He won the 1964 Cy Young Award. His ERA was a minuscule, won the 63 or something. Amazing. 12 shutouts. And he's just a. Uh, it, 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 it's really weird because Bo was not that as talented as Dean was, but those two guys rode roughshod over L.A. They were just wherever they wanted to get, you know, they get in trouble, and, and <laughs> somebody'd have to bail them out. It was—it's it, a great movie. It's a great story. <laughs> yeah, you got to write that screenplay, yeah, right? That's—that's it, that's something it, I would definitely want to see. Well, um, you know, now you how. You have an interesting story, too. I mean, we can talk about the, there's a reason that you have this connection with the Angels team. Give me a little bit um, of an understanding of how you became how you came to be associated with the Angels franchise. Well, truthfully, it goes all the way back to the inception in 1961. Mm-hmm. My grandmother lived in Beverly Hills, and she was best friends with Florence Haney, Fred Haney's wife. So, you know, we had, we had this connection. You know, we'd go over to his house. In, in Beverly Hills, and Fred would have this amazing den full of autographed balls and jerseys, and you know, Babe Ruth stuff and Ty Cobb stuff. And for for a little kid, that was just yeah, another world. So I had a I had a unique little inn. Fred would leave his tickets, and I got hooked. You know, I was just flat out obsessed with the Angels. And uh, it, my dad would take me down to spring training in Palm Springs every year, where you could meet the players and hang out and get to know people. And as I grew up, got older, I'd go down by myself and I'd go down by the batting cage and steal baseballs and get broken bats. I was just an absolute maniac. And, uh, 
at the same time, in Southern California, I was playing some high school ball, but I was also bat boy for the UCLA Bruins. Okay. Through the baseball coach, Art Reichel, who ran a summer camp in Utah. So I knew him, and I knew Fred Haney. And in 1973, um, I've been, I was going down, doing school hours, just going down, taking buses down to the stadium. I, my mom let me for some reason. I don't know why. Because <laughs> you did that stuff in 1970s, you know. Yeah. Nobody plus, worried about it. Plus, my mom was, you know, my dad died, and, and she knew I needed something that was very, it was healthy in a way. Yeah. Instead of running around taking drugs and drinking, I was, you know, going down to Dodger Stadium and Angels, Angel Games. So I think that was a healthy thing in, in some ways. In some ways, it wasn't. But anyway... In 1972, uh, they hired Bobby Winkles, the coach of ASU, as a coach. In 1973, he's hired, he hired his manager, and he's good friends with Art Reichel, the UCLA baseball coach. So, so through recommendations through Art Reichel and Fred Haney, I got an introduction to to Bobby Winkles and uh, a letter that said, "You come down in spring training. I'll let you in the clubhouse, and you could help us in the spring." So that mm-hmm. was the spring of 1973. I got into the clubhouse. I became a substitute bat boy that year. The next year I was hired full-time, 74, 75, half of 76, and 77 I was a visiting bat boy. So that's how I got into the the actual clubhouse. So once you, so the, in, in the clubhouse, who were the people around you? Who were the players on the team at that time? Uh, 73, 74, the, the big stars were uh, um, Bobby Valentine, Frank Robinson, Nolan Ryan was just emerging, Frank mm-hmm. Panana. Yeah, they weren't a great team, but we had some interesting talent there. We had some young talent there, and uh, I befriended uh, Leroy Stanton. Mm-hmm. Probably don't know him, but I befriended Mickey Rivers. He's another character. Yeah, he was there. So I befriended these guys, and uh, particularly Nolan. Mm-hmm. He really, we took he took to me, and I took to him. We both liked the outdoors and ranching. He was very friendly to me. And we started a lifelong friendship there. Which and what was it like? I mean, baseball has changed so much. You've added so much money to the game. The, the players, it's a different world altogether than what it was back then. But um, was it more of just kind of a laid-back uh, family atmosphere, would you say, with that franchise when you were there in the 70s? Definitely. Uh, Gene Autry, it was a, it was a small-town kind of atmosphere with, with Gene. Everybody knew each other by everybody's first name. Gene yeah. was very, very beloved and very open door, very open-minded. He loved anybody involved in the game. It was a, it was a family affair. And, of course, as the big money came in and things changed, it evolved into more of a corporate atmosphere. And I just got the tail end of that kind of family atmosphere mm-hmm. and there was nothing like it you know you got these guys weren't rich you know, some, right you know some guys you know Nolan Ryan pumped gas and you know you're kidding Mets. yeah I mean you know guys had two jobs if you weren't you know it, it was a whole different deal yeah. there was no health rings there was no weight room there was no you know flat screens in the clubhouse there was no you know blenders with health rings going there was you know there were spittoons and there was smoking there was beer there was, you know I mean it was just there were still those characters that we talked about previously. It was just a whole different deal. How and did the players uh, relate with the fans at that time? What do you think their relationship was um, that's different today? How- well, it was much more hands-on. For mm-hmm. one thing, the Angels drew you know, 5000 a game, and you could yeah. basically just sit wherever you want and be real close. Uh, going to Palm Springs, you could, you know, that's how I got access. I got to know these people because I was able to, interact uh today you know they have you can't even get down in the, in the field box right. you can't get close to the people 
and you know autographs are now a business before then it was a you know it was a heartfelt thing now you yeah. now players are scared to sign it's it's corporate now, basically, versus uh, the Gene Autry family deal. But, you know, that had to evolve. There's sure. just too much money. It just Yes, and the Angels had to get into that game if they were going to survive. They were going to have to become a bigger money franchise. I mean, they just couldn't be that sweet little team that Gene Autry just kind of loved. And no. they had to evolve to compete in the marketplace. So that was inevitable. I think you're right. But yeah, well, the, well, the onset of free agency in yes. 73, you know, Gene... He said, you know, he opened the saddlebags, you know, Reggie Jackson, Rod Crew, you know the story, all yeah. that, Don Baylor, Gritchie, you know, it became, the Angels became competitive. They couldn't do it on their own, they needed to buy players, you know, so, and then it changed as the 70s evolved in the 80s and 90s, but um, it, for me, it was always, uh, Angels, uh, Anaheim State in the Big A was always more uh, smaller, closer to the, to the players than Dodger Stadium was, because yeah. it, it was just more intimate, and then... When Gene Autry went and the Angels came, uh, Disney came to town, it became corporate. And right. now today, you know, billion-dollar TV contracts, and, you know, players have airplanes and private, you know, chauffeurs. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a different world altogether. But, you know, the interesting thing, I, I don't know, I still... Um I'm a huge baseball fan. I love, actually, full disclosure, Cubs and Angels fan, um, lifelong. But I, I think that those, actually, those two franchises, it's the history of those teams that, that really kind of compel me. I, I think that the Angels still do somehow retain a little bit of that Gene Autry feel to them. And, it, and I don't think it's just lip service. I know it's really hard to, to see that in an era of all these big money contracts and things, but you still have people working for the organization, I believe, that are, are kind of fan-oriented. And um, as much as they can be in, mm-hmm. in, in this world of, of having to compete, I, I still think the Angels like to see themselves as that family franchise. Well, uh, a lot of that emanates from Tim Mead. Uh, yes, PR. I totally agree. He came in in, in his 70s, and he, he's, he's kind of the old-fashioned. Yep. You know, he goes around and talks to people, and he's very fan And he's based. the vice president of communications yeah. with the Angels, so yeah. He's, he's awesome. And, you know, everyone, Artie, you know, any, when Artie came in, you know, everyone everyone got laid off except Tim because he's indispensable. Yeah. You can't lose Tim Mead. And th- there's a little bit of that left. Uh, not as much as when I when when I started, but uh, you know, Artie Artie does his best. You know, he tries to keep it kind of low key, but it, it's just hard because you know, twenty five million here for this guy, twenty million. For yeah, there, it's know. a different world, definitely. Well, so what if you can think of? Um, gosh putting you on this total spot like one special memory of when the time when you were with the angels and around those players if there was one thing that stands out that kind of is a a quintessential moment describes what that experience was like what would it be i guess nolan ryan yeah watching him evolve and working his i worked two no hitters and you know, him personal friend i'd go to his place in the off season and drive yeah. his car back to texas i think I think the, the big day for me was his fourth no-hitter, June 3rd, 1975. I was bat boy, and uh, he had this little deal where back then the balls were sewn in Haiti and they were different dimensions the, you know there were little ones there were big ones with mm-hmm. high seams or low seams and so he'd, he'd, he'd go through the balls and he'd take the smaller balls with high seams and he'd put them in a, a special 
area in the, in the ball cage, and you know we mark him X, and he called for him if he needed him, and we. And so the seventh inning, he says, Robbie, go get the X balls. And uh, I charge up the, the, because he's got no hitter going, and yeah. I charge up the clubhouse, and I get the X balls, and we feed him into the, we feed him in the umpire when no one's pitching. And sure enough, he pitches his fourth no hitter, oh tied him with Sandy Colfax. So it's stuff like that. But what I really remember most are the relationships, the mm-hmm. friendships that I, you know, I still have. It's just, they took me in. I was, I was like their little brother, and they are all good to me, and, I think it kind of spoiled me because I thought all people are like this, all celebrities are like this. You know, they just—it was just a great time, and I kind of maybe took it for granted. But uh, well, you shared it, and that's the the cool thing is that um, in your book and and subsequent things you've written about, I think that's I'm really grateful that you have because that's what you always want baseball players to be like. I mean, that's what our 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 hope and our dream is that they will be that guy like yeah. Nolan Ryan was and to you and so I, I love the fact reading those stories in your book once they were angels and and um, I encourage anyone to pick that up because it's it does give you that um, that happy side <laughs> that you want to remember baseball being and and I think still is today it's just harder to find those stories and harder to get to that level and so thank you so much for sharing it I, I really appreciate your time and um, you know we could go on on talking about baseball I tell you I, I could never get tired of it yeah, the Angels have a, a great, great history of, like you said, characters and, and just crazy stuff that happened. And like you said, we could probably talk for 10 hours <laughs> not even get through the 60s. Well, maybe we'll talk again sometime, but I th- I, I always uh, reserve the right to ask again. Okay. All right. It. Thank you so much. Okay, Ellen. Well, thank you, Rob Goldman, for helping me tell the story of the Angels. And thank you for joining me on Vintage Orange here at KUCI 88.9 FM. Uh, Please join me next week at 4 o'clock when we will talk about another topic of Orange County history. If you would like to check out any past podcasts, you can do so at our website, www.vintageorange.com. KUCI.blogspot.com, or you could check out the KUCI.org website for post uh, podcasts as well. So thanks again, and I will see you next week on Vintage Orange.